What's up, podcast listeners? Uh, my name is Anwar Osborne. I'm uh, joined by my colleague, Dr. Wheatley. Hello. And uh, we are here to bring you another exciting Popscast. Uh, this edition, we're going to try to talk a little bit more shop. Uh, we'll go over some uh, viewer or listener mail, and we'll talk some about potentially some of these papers maybe we can discuss next time, uh, or if we have, we'll discuss them today. But one of the first things uh, we wanted to mention is that we have a date for the upcoming observation conference. It's the Science and Solutions. That's true. It'll be the fourth of these. Right. We have not only a date, but we have a location. So the location this time is beautiful Charleston, SC, your hometown. That is my hometown. I'm born and raised uh, in Charleston. Uh, the faculty dinner is going to be at my mom's house. If, you, if you're a big-time listener, email me ahead of time. I'll get you in. And uh, I think it's going to be a really good conference. We have uh, some of the usual suspects. We're going to try to change things up some uh, based on the uh, feedback and evaluations that we got last time. But overall, it's the one place to go if you want to talk about the serious science of observation medicine. Uh, what else do you, what, what other kind of person do you think would come to this sort of conference? Uh, one thing that I've enjoyed about the conferences, I know this is a direct answer to your question, but <laughs> I've enjoyed about the conferences uh, previous to this is that there's docs, nurses, PAs, so really it, it's not just meant for one kind of provider. Right. Um, so it's definitely for folks who are looking at starting an OBS unit, have started an OBS unit, and are looking at ways to operationalize it a little better, right. um, or folks that have, have an established OBS unit um, that maybe have some questions, uh, or, or if you're doing anything interesting or novel, it's a good way to network with folks right. uh, and get out there and, and see what's being done. So um, definitely, you know, if you guys have any stuff you want to see or hear, hit us up on the, on the link to the podcast, and, you know, we can, we can try to incorporate that. All right, yeah, I think it'll be a good time. All sorts of people, lots of great networking. And what are the dates for that? Uh, sorry, the dates for that are September 15th and 16th. Uh, it'll be at the Double Tree, which is downtown Charleston. Uh, as soon as we get a link for uh, registration, we'll put it either on the uh, opsprotocols.org uh, or we'll put, put it in, a, in the next podcast. Uh, on the podcast screen, if you have an I iPhone, like in the... And the details, they'll have a place for us to put a link in there. So we'll put it in there as soon as we get a registration site I just checked. But um, if it's anything like last year, it'll be a lot of people. Um, again, Charleston's really awesome. So uh, really looking forward to that. Uh, so one of the things we wanted to talk about today that we don't often talk about at the uh, on the podcast, it's a lot of very academic. And when we go to these conferences, like, you know, there's a lot of, uh, shop talk, like how do you run an OBS unit, what are the problems, blah, blah, blah. So um, I just, uh, well, we wanted to really take a few minutes to maybe discuss what are the operational challenges that each of us have right now. Uh, Matt is a big time OBS director at Grady, you, you can uh, fill us in, but it's a 20 bed OBS unit that's adjacent to the ER uh, in a uh, big inner city academic teaching facility right so uh, so what are y'all's big operation uh, issues 
So I would say our number one operational issue right now is actually occupancy. We're, we're actually kind of underfilling the unit um, relative to um, what, what I guess our potential is. Um, so one, one question in that is how do you know if you're underfilling your unit? Um, and there are a couple metrics that you can calculate fairly easily. Um, one is to calculate your patients per bed per day. So if you have uh, a monthly or a weekly census report, either that's you collect by hand or from your EMR, um, I can get mine pretty easily through Epic. Um, you just kind of divide your census by your number of beds and then your number of days, and that'll get your patients per bed per day. And you really want to aim for about 1 to 1.1 patient per bed per day, and that means you're utilizing each of those beds once, um, and, and some of them you're utilizing more than once in the course of 24 hours. Um, another metric you can look at is the percent of your ED census that goes to OBS. Uh, and there's a number of different kind of benchmark percentages that have been sent out. Traditionally, if you look at the uh, critical metrics paper that Mike Ross and Lou Graff published in 2012. Uh, they will say about 8 to 10 percent uh, of your ED census can go to OBS. Um, there have been folks that have, uh, or other studies that have looked at uh, into the teens or upwards even towards 20 percent, and some of that depends on the case mix you see in your OBS unit. I know some of the shops that use uh, more complex OBS, you know, they can see maybe maybe upwards to 20%. Um, but definitely um, 8 to 10% is a good, uh, a good number uh, of the census. And so what we found at Grady is that we're observing uh, more like 4 to 5% of our ED census um, and that our patients per bed per day are, you know, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've had to... We've had some challenges in uh, kind of sorting out how to how to improve that. Right. So, what kind of things do you uh, foresee in the future that you would do, and what sort of things are y'all doing now? Right. So, I think one thing is to figure out kind of what your missed opportunities are, um, as we've tried to do. Um, so, are there folks that are being admitted that are going upstairs that are staying for a day and get turned around and and sent out. So um, if through your uh, kind of utilization review people, you can get an idea of the number of inpatient OBS cases that they're still seeing. And you can, if you can get a report of that routinely, or even just kind of a spot check and, and check those medical record numbers and look through those cases and see, okay, yeah, this is somebody that would have met criteria. Um, you know, you can get back to the individual providers mm -hmm. and, and say, you know, how, how come you guys admitted this guy? You know, and, and a lot of times, you know, if you're working, different providers will have different reasons for admitting versus not. Um, you want to kind of focus on the, if, if you're talking about filling beds each day, you want to focus on kind of the high yield things. So mm -hmm. chest pain, heart failure, asthma, those kind of things, if they're, if they're a big part of your census. The temptation, I think, is to add a bunch of protocols, um, and that may be a good idea, that may be where you want to go, but you're adding a kind of a niche protocol may only net you one or two patients per month. So, I mean, that is a strategy, definitely, that you can use, um, is to add some other protocols. Um, one thing we had done previously is you can get something called the PEPA report, 
which is something that um, your hospital should keep that has all your one-day admissions by DRG code. And so we were seeing that a lot of folks were staying in Grady for uh, transfusions, and so we quickly developed a transfusion protocol. Um, and so now, you know, unless obviously you're actively bleeding or hemodynamically unstable, if you need a couple units of blood, um, you can come to the CDU. Um, so you can find out maybe some of your missed opportunities for that. Um, the second thing is, yeah, if you find that we need to develop some new protocols, that is a way to kind of expand the scope of your unit. Um, that, I think, is more reliant on your nursing staff and the ability of your ancillary services to provide service for those folks, you know, if it's going to rely on MRIs or specialty tests. Uh, and then the third thing is, I think, educating providers on the front end. Are you finding that are you finding that your ED length of stay is long? And so there's really people that are getting discharged out of the ED that really um, providers should just make a decision about sooner. Um, and so we've had some issues, I think, with hyperglycemia, asthmatics, you know, folks that they want to kind of stay and play with them for a little bit in the ED and one more liter of fluids or one more dose of, of insulin and we'll have this blood sugar down to where it needs to be. And, and they should really be focused on uh, making a quicker disposition right. decision on those patients. You want to move that decision point further exactly. into the ERSA. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, those are th those are some things I think we're doing. And, you know, our... Our unit is maintained by uh, around the clock by uh, associate providers. Our associate providers are wonderful at Grady. They're they are a really great dynamic group of, of people. Um, a lot of them are fairly new out of training. And so some of it, I think, is just an experience curve, just you know, as they get more experienced. And I've already seen as they get more seasoned, um, they know what questions to ask when they're taking an admission to the CDU, and, and we've, we've seen more of We've seen more um, admissions, appropriate OBS admissions as a result of that. Um, you know, also you can really encourage them if the unit has empty beds for them to go out and kind of find patients and actually pull them into CDU. So those are some of the strategies we've used. I mean, obviously if folks um, have other strategies that they've used to kind of make sure their unit's filled, uh, you know, don't hesitate to leave us comments. So what kind of stuff have you guys been running up against in the in the HMS unit or at, at Midtown? Well, um, I'll tell you about that in a second, but let me just make yeah. one comment on uh, all that um, that great operational advice. And, um, you know, one of the things that comes up, and this will dovetail into what, uh, what we have going on at, at Emory Midtown, is, uh, you know, Grady uh, is a very data-rich environment, right? So... A lot of the things that you want to know about where the OBS patients are in your hospital, uh, what those lengths of stays are, what those diagnoses are, kind of at your fingertips. Uh, and um, sometimes there's uh, hospitals that uh, a lot of times email or talk, or talk to me or um, get in contact with Mike Ross that don't really have such a uh, generous setup as far as data is concerned. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the things that Dr. Mike Ross always advised us to do is uh, to kind of look at the kind of information that you can get. One actually very easy piece of information to get is if the OBS unit is adjacent to the ER, getting a daily ER census is, is probably what most hospitals do anyway, right? right. Getting the, and multiplying that to get uh, by 0.08 to get your... Uh, what your what your ob census should be is a very simple kind of gross metric that you can get to see if you're yeah. maximizing the uh, the ob's unit. Uh, one of the issues that came up when we uh, were 
managing the the CDU at Emory Midtown was that we would have nursing staff shortages, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, there would be issues with flexing the nurses out of the CDU. Mm -hmm. So the CDU nurses would go out to the floor uh, and take care of acute care patients, and uh, oftentimes they wouldn't go back. And the APP would show up in the morning and not have enough patients to see to justify uh, those provider charges. Because they would, they would functionally close the unit or close half the unit, close right? half, if, exactly. If, if they had to flex a nurse out. Right. So... And if you're not boots on the ground there working every shift, which, you know, I, I, nobody could be, it's a, a lot of uh, hearsay about how often that happens. So uh, one of the things that uh, we had done in the past was to get the daily census. And, you know, if it was a slow day, uh, then maybe, you know, they are, there really were only four or five patients in the option. Mm -hmm. uh, and that would have to correlate with what 8% of the ED census was. But um, but pretty reliably, if we were having maximum occupancy, there would be a dip that you would see where we get to like two or three percent, uh, and then we'd start to ask questions that way. Yeah, and that that's difficult because I, I know a lot of hospitals deal with that. Uh, Emory, the main campus hospital, had the same thing, and I think smaller hospitals, especially on the overnight shift, um, you know, have one pool of nurses that staffs both the CDU. Ob's right. unit and the and the main ED and it's very easy for them to kind of cannibalize the CDU nurses. Right. Um, there's really good data to show that having an ED OBS unit um, decreases your ambulance diversion, de you know, improves patient satisfaction because it's really there to decompress your emergency department. But to do that, it's got to be open, and right. you, you got to have all beds open. So you right. can't take an eight-bed unit and make it a four-bed unit overnight, and then all of a sudden you're admitting chest pain patients to the right. floors. Um, so, so really translating that uh, segment of the data to the uh, nursing leadership uh, yeah. I think is key. It's yeah. hard to do. Uh, the other huge advantage that uh, Dr. Wheatley has is he has a very capable and um, uh, strong nursing uh, director that's just for the ops unit. And uh, that sort of thing really makes it to where when there is flex out, it's more like a pullback, right? And so if you have right. one person kind of over the whole thing yeah. that uh, does not fully appreciate what the ops unit does for the ER and the hospital, I think it's uh, it's very easy and seductive to get into this pattern of just closing down the OBS unit for four patients. Right, right. Yeah, I think you need to have an understanding. I mean, that that's why, honestly, it's good to have kind of an operational meeting each month where nursing is present because there are... There are nursing issues that as, as physicians or as APPs you're not privy to. I mean, most hospitals will have uh, nursing productivity numbers that's based not on patients per bed per day, but the number of hours that a head's actually in the bed in the unit. And so, right. um, you know, sometimes we look at our metrics and feel like we're doing well from an occupancy standpoint, but my nurses are getting lit up on their productivity. And right. so um, that's why it's important not only to make sure that you have the right kind of patients in there, but that you're turning the beds over appropriately um, and, and to meet with your nurse managers so you're aware of some of these. You can get out ahead of them and you can meet with nursing leadership to make sure, like you said, that they're not cannibalizing the nurses back to the ED or, or floating them to other, you know, small hospitals. They may get pulled to a floor assignment or something, you, you know. Um, but to make sure the understanding is as soon as 
whatever it, you know if you have four patients in there as soon as that fifth patient goes over there that nurse comes back from whatever right. whatever they're doing and you don't want your providers to know that that's an issue or not you want yeah. it to be that fluid exactly uh at midtown uh, emory midtown that's where i am the medical director of our uh what we would probably call our second level observation unit and uh, there that observation unit is managed uh, by hospitalists, right, uh, as opposed to the ED providers. We have an APP, like most OBS units, uh, stationed in the unit for 12 hours. And uh, our, our unit is 10 beds. And uh, we're also having some occupancy issues, uh, a little bit less so, uh, some length of stay issues. Mm -hmm. uh, we just uh, published, uh, we'll talk about this on a podcast, uh, probably the next one or one after that. Yeah. Uh, we just published a second level OBS uh, case series survey. Uh, it's, I don't think it's out of press just yet. However, uh, we, there's seven or eight units that I was able to get in contact that are kind of doing the same thing where they have a CDU in one, in one hospital and they have in the same hospital another observation unit managed by a different group that takes what could be considered more complex patients. And uh, so that's the situation that I, I'm kind of in. And so in that sort of uh, environment, we expect a longer length of stay. Uh, turns out that that's probably the case in these other second level observation units. So I'm not as concerned about that. However, our uh, occupancy uh, has kind of been a bone of contention. And like you say, when you kind of come out of the ER environment and look at those metrics uh, from a... Uh, not ER perspective, it's, it's very easy to get into a trap. So the, in most hospitals uh, operate this way for inpatients, they get a census at midnight, right? So uh, whoever, all the bodies in the beds at midnight counts as what is your uh, unit census for that day. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, when the unit was designed for use for, by the hospitalists, uh, that's how the occupancy was determined and that occupancy translated into staffing and uh, it's, that's we've been having a pretty uh, robust discussion about uh, how uh, occupancy how how many patients are actually occupying the beds now uh, just like dr. Wheatley mentioned the uh, ideal way is to look at this from uh, patients per bed per day uh, but if you're talking about at midnight you kind of miss all those patients that come in at six in the morning for a stress test and they get the stress test and they leave before midtime, mm -hmm. it's like that patient never came there. Right. Uh, so that's, that's uh, been part of our uh, challenge. Uh, we had to get back into the data warehouse or our, and get with our IT squad to really try to rebuild this uh, understanding of uh, occupancy for observation. And I think that that is probably underlying a lot of our occupancy mm -hmm. issues. Uh, I think another part of it is that the patients that we take are sometimes more complicated uh, and their length of stay kind of creeps up. So, yeah. uh, you know, we kind of talk about length of stay uh, uh, and we throw around these benchmark numbers of 16 hours or so. Uh, so, you know, what do you think, why, why is that important as it, as it relates to occupancy and operations of an object, you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really tempting to have maybe a length of stay that's a little bit long, you know, approach, you know, an average, and I'm talking kind of average length of stay. It's long, maybe approaching 24 hours and, and feel that's okay. That There's good data kind of in the observation literature. Um, number one, that 
really for for simple OBS patients, you know, so these are the chest pain, asthma, cellulitis, the disposition decision really can be made at about 15 to 18 hours. And, and when they've studied it, they've found that that extra kind of six to eight hours really does not further delineate these folks. So if you have an asthmatic at 16 hours who's not ready to go home, the giving next, them till 24 isn't going to make them more make any as a population going to make them more ready to go home. Right. Um, the other thing that is, uh, and I hope I don't butcher this, but uh, so at, at all these ob conferences, we've had an excellent talk on kind of the the economics of observation by Mike Gronowski, um, who's a coding and billing expert. Uh, and basically, what he says in order for the unit to be kind of financially solvent, you need to be efficient in patient care. I mean, that's true everywhere from right. outpatient practice, office practice, to inpatient practice. And so hanging on to people in the OBS unit, getting those extra tests or the MRIs, right. you know, on top of what's already ordered and getting the consultant to come in and see them right. is leading to increased length of stay and it's and it's keeping you from taking the next OBS patient in that bed. Right. Um, and so, so he does a great uh, little math uh, case scenario, which um, it's kind of hard to s totally come translate. to the conference in September <laughs> okay. and you're going to get the truth. <laughs> You'll get the whole thing, and uh, and it's not really the, that we're looking at patients like um, like numbers. However, the efficiency of the unit is kind of based on uh, being able to produce uh, RVUs as far as the providers are concerned, and. Uh, the difference between the RVUs uh, for um, the discharge billing code, when mm -hmm. you discharge a patient that day, versus the uh, observation follow-up, like if you were to just let the patient stay this one day and discharge them the next day, it's like a third, uh, thirty-three so percent difference, or so. right? So it's a big drop. So well, and that's where the costs for the patient tend to end up add up too. So you, you know, you take somebody who's uh, maybe a TIA, right, and you know, the data from Mike Ross's study said, you know, we can we can get those patients out in an average of 24 hours with, right. uh, you know, a MRI, MRA, echo if they need it, they've seen neurology, et cetera. Uh, if you're less efficient and let's say, you know, it takes 36 hours or it takes 48 hours or even, you know, 72 hours is what the average for a floor patient is, right. all of a sudden you've lost all of the uh, economic advantages for using observation as, right. a, as a means of managing the patients. Now the patients are getting hit with more of a copay for each day that they're occupying right. that bed, all their meds and stuff like that. So uh, it it really breaks down as an efficient means of care once you, once you cross, you know, past right. each of those 24, 48, 72-hour thresholds. Right. So... So the length of stay kind of tied into occupancy. You're holding up the bed, tied into economics. Uh, very important thing to 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 keep track of. Uh, had so, you had you had any kind of strategies for improving length of stay? Uh, well, yes and no. Uh, we have uh, one one of our major strategies is we wanted to try to switch the language of. Uh, uh, the culture that we've had. So if when we built the unit, you know, we pulled everything out of the Medicare um, hospital manual. And uh, the language in there is that ops patients, you know, generally get all their care in 24 hours, very rarely 48, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, when you tell that to a group of hospitalists, 
um, God bless them, <laughs> they, they kind of see that the limit is 48 hours, right? And so what, what I've really tried to uh, impart was that we need to make a decision the morning you round, right? And so unless that patient just got there, we need to make a disposition decision that day. And uh, there's almost no circumstance where staying overnight is going to make any difference. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, if you don't have a rock-solid plan for that patient, getting what they need, right. when you round at 9 in the morning, then they need to be admitted it, as an inpatient. It, so it's really, what you're saying, it's, it's really training your staff, whether it's your nurses, your APPs, your physicians, mm -hmm. to respect that timeline right. of whether it's 24 hours or the 16 to 18 hours supported in the literature of right. you you know you really need to know what's going on with the right. patient by then uh and obviously cases will go over that there may be one that you're waiting on an echo result and it may right. bleed over 24 hours that's fine but you know on the average you want to be well under that uh, you know and i've even said to my nurses and my apps i was like Put a reminder in your phone, uh, right. you know, ha have it go off when this guy hits 15, 18 hours and then make right. sure you go back in and you reassess him, you listen to his lungs or whatever and say, yeah. okay, you're not sounding like you're ready to go home. We're going to go ahead and yeah, admit you. Be done with it. And um, I think that's helped some, you know, like there's uh, a lot of challenges with uh, the OMS unit and the hospitalist because you don't necessarily change services to mm -hmm. admit the patient. Right. Uh, whereas in the ER... Uh, the APPs are very positively incentivized to admit the patient because they get transfer off, the service. Get them off their service. Right, right, right. right. So um, I yeah. think that that's a challenge, but, you know, it's coming along slow. As the yep. unit matures, it gets better. No. You know, we're actually running really short on time, which is great. Uh, this is a great discussion. I just want to touch on a couple of things. Uh, so we, um, so Matt and I are both, on the uh, ASAP OBS uh, listserv, you know, I don't uh, comment very often. Uh, I've been told that my email responses are curt or terse. <laughs> Angry, <laughs> Angry. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. But um, but just a couple of viewer uh, or listener mails that I kind of stole from the, the listserv. We'll try to keep it anonymous. There was a letter this um, uh, back in December uh, out of New York. Uh, one of the bigger centers there, and uh, their question was, uh, is there a basic OBS curriculum for uh, for educating residents and medical students in uh, observation medicine? And uh, to which, which is a perfect segue, we'll talk about this next time is the OBS curriculum paper. Yeah, we're, we're this has been a, I guess a labor of love, you would say, that was started by Mike Ross at Emory a couple of years ago to kind of collate some of the stuff that OBS educators, uh, both at Emory, uh, Pawan Suri at, at VCU, Carol Clark at, at Beaumont and uh, Oakland University, uh, have been doing for a number of years uh, in terms of kind of resident didactics, uh, reading materials, and then kind of experiential rounding schedules, and try to try to coalesce it into a cohesive. Uh, document like a white paper that we can we can put out there for folks to use as, as a blueprint um, if you have learners in observation medicine. So um, that has been accepted for publication in AEM. Um, the publication hasn't been the date hasn't been finalized, but um, we will let you guys know when that happens, and we'll we'll discuss it on a on a further podcast. Um, so yeah, Matt's being modest. I think there were. Uh... 
Matt texts me uh, every so often, uh, like eight or nine o'clock. And he's like, "Man, Anwar, I'm taking this paper to the woodshed." <laughs> There's no less than eight of those texts on my phone. So <laughs> it's yeah, uh, it was it required a lot of uh, editing, and uh, so uh, yeah, I'm glad we were able to get it across the finish line. Right. Yeah. No, that's great paper, and you did a great job. The um, other uh, uh, kind of listener email I kind of stole from the listserv uh, comes out of Colorado and uh, one of the hospitals there was uh, opening an observation unit and uh, was curious about different staffing models um, and you know let me just uh, take this one the I think that one of the better resources is a uh, Society of Cardiovascular Patient Care white paper that uh, a lot of us worked on that uh, covers really most of the things you need to know in the setting how to set up an OBS unit um, and uh, you know the, the shortest answer is if you're if you're just talking about nursing you know four uh, four to one or five to one are very easy numbers to staff to uh, hospitals will vary about what kind of support they'll get uh, sometimes it's four to one uh, with uh, with one tech in that uh, sometimes it's uh, four to one with uh, uh, maybe a shared sort of uh, patient care coordinator. That's the kind of person that could do tech duties and or answer the phone, things like that. Uh, so that would be the short answer, but uh, there's a, a paper that you can get. It was in the um, Critical Pathways of Cardiology. It was published in there uh, last summer. And uh, it's a it's an easy read. It's all broken into sections, and uh, there's a pretty long section on uh, staffing from the nursing standpoint. So, yeah. Um, But, yeah, we probably need to wrap this up. The uh, next time we meet, uh, we'll probably sit down and talk in more detail about this uh, OBS curriculum paper. Uh, we can talk about this uh, second level uh, observation unit uh, paper that uh, also got accepted for publication. And uh, hopefully we can get Mike to sit down and tell us uh, the latest and greatest from the two midnight rule. Yeah, the, He's so busy. The he final rule. <laughs> the final ruling. So uh, he uh, is going to make some time for us. We'll get him back on the show and get his two cents on uh, the two That's midnight right. rule. Well, and as we move towards the next OBS conference, we'll have more information about speakers and stuff like that. Um, so more to come on that for sure. So uh, if you're trying to catch up with uh, Dr. Wheatley and myself, I'm going to be at the uh, AAEM conference in February, uh, and I'll be giving a couple talks for this kind of new ob section there. And uh, you probably know that Matt is the uh, the the chair of the SAEM uh, interest group. SAEM interest group for OB. So we'll be out there in, in New Orleans in May right. for the SAEM annual meeting. So there'll be a uh, there'll be an interest group meeting and I don't think the dates for that have been set. So I'll send it out on the SAEM kind of listserv as soon as that uh, comes up. Awesome. And then uh, we'll be at the ASAP OB section meeting in that's in October, right? In Las Vegas. Las Vegas. So I'm making two trips to Vegas. Hopefully I'll win some money. But, uh, okay, so thanks for listening, guys. This has been real great. Um, and like we say at the end of every show, if you don't have OBS, then you really have a problem. All right. <laughs> you guys take care. <laughs>